Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the New York City, New Jersey, Philly edition. I'm Jeff Smelzer in Exton, Pennsylvania, a western suburb of Philadelphia. And with me as usual is my co-host, Joe Works, who is in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Good afternoon, Joe. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Very well. It's cold. It's cold where you are, I'm sure, also, right? Well, it's pretty warm inside the room here, but... Uh... <laughs> okay, well, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's down, I, I think, uh, it's probably, I haven't checked the temperature lately here, but uh, I think it's probably around 15, 16 degrees here. Is that about what it is there? I suspect it's about the same. Once it gets to 32, I sort of quit looking. <laughs> Well, we have an interesting topic to discuss today. We're going to bring Tommy Peeler on, and he's going to talk with us a little bit uh, about some things in the Jewish calendar. I'm going to just bring Tommy on right now. And uh, Tommy, welcome to the webcast this afternoon. Thank you, Jill. Good to, good to be here. We have Tommy with us today because we want to talk a little bit about um, some things that pertain to the Jewish calendar. In Exodus, the 12th chapter, uh, as the Israelites are in Egypt, and God has brought nine plagues upon the Egyptians to convince Pharaoh to let them go. And he's about to bring the tenth plague on them, which will be the death of the firstborn in each household, except for those households where they put the blood of the lamb that they will kill. They put that blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Um, and as Moses is giving the instructions to the Israelites, it says in Exodus the, 13th, Exodus the uh, 12th chapter, And verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel. This is God telling Moses what to say to Israel. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, I'm sorry, I need to back up one verse, verse 2. Well, let's just start at verse 1. Why not? (laughs) Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. I thought this might be interesting because, of course, we're starting a new year right now. But our calendars aren't exactly in sync with the Jewish calendar. Um, The first month of the year in the Jewish calendar is going to be around March or April uh, in our calendars. And um, this is where we first read about that. And this is in the context of the Passover feast, which uh, was to occur on the uh, the 14th or between the lights, I guess, Tommy, of the 14th and the 15th of this first month. So let's talk a little bit about Passover, Joe, Tommy, where would you guys like to start today? Maybe with just a description of this this first Passover, what happened? Well, I think if uh, maybe just to set the stage a little bit here from that 12th chapter, uh, recognizing that God is going to protect those who call upon him for mercy and uh, deliver them out of uh, this Egyptian bondage, as you uh, alluded to a moment ago, that 10th plague was getting ready to come upon the Israelites, uh, or come come upon the Egyptians, I mean, and uh, the Israelites. Just, just, let me just, just the Egyptians? Well, it was going to come upon the whole land. Okay. So whoever would put the blood upon the doorposts and the lentils, those would be the individuals who would be spared of this 10th plague. Um, uh, and well, the Israelites are given this instruction um, uh, to... Uh, prepare this bed of this lamb and uh, put it on the the doorpost and on the lintel of the house. What's the lintel? I think you know my wife makes lintels and uh, she eats them and um, I don't. But uh, what's a lintel? Uh, isn't that isn't it the the part that's above the door the beam? I guess I don't know exactly what the a good 
construction word would be for that. Header? A header? Yeah, that'll work. Sure. <laughs> okay. A header above the door, the door frame, the top of the door frame. Okay. All right. So they put blood up there and then? And uh, they would observe the Passover. There were certain things that they were to eat and uh, fashion to eat them at verse 8 and following. Um, uh, maybe one of the things stands out most significant would be the unleavened bread uh, representing the quickness in which they were going to be leaving uh, Egyptian bondage. Uh, also, having bitter herbs, they were to uh, uh, partake of those, uh, representing the bitterness of the bondage and so forth, represent, uh, remembering all of that. Okay, I get the part about the bitter herbs, but let's go back to the unleavened bread. You said that represents quickness. So what's unleavened bread? Uh, bread that hasn't, uh, has no yeast in it, no leaven in it. Uh, uh, it's not going to have time to rise, uh, would be the idea, I think, behind this. Tommy, does your wife make yeast rolls? Do you make yeast rolls, Tommy? I, I do not. Personally. Does your wife ever make yeast rolls? She does. She, she does? does? I'm trying to emphasize proteins right now. And so this is not to, to lose everybody who's a big promoter of the roll market. But, <laughs> but, uh, she's, uh, we're emphasizing proteins right now. So she occasionally does, yes. Probably need to get you a little closer to your microphone, Tommy. Having trouble a little bit hearing you. But yeah, okay. when you okay. make yeast rolls, you put yeast in it and, and you have to put the, the uncooked dough in a warm place and it has to sit there three, four hours to rise so you get that nice fluffy roll. And, uh, and I guess then the idea, Joe, you're saying the unleavened bread represents quickness. They're not going to have time to be sitting around waiting for bread to rise on this particular night because why? Yeah, verse 11 of chapter 12 talks about that they're going to eat it in haste. Uh, they're going to be dressed, have their sandals on, have the belt on, staff even in their hands, uh, ready to leave at a moment's notice because when uh, – the death angel passes through. Uh, the uh, instruction is going to be give, given pretty quickly for them to leave Egypt. Egypt. So they're going to go out that night or the next uh, morning. Uh, yeah, they're going to they're going to leave as soon as uh, like dropping over. I guess about verse thirty one and following. Uh, you have Pharaoh calling for Moses and Aaron that night in verse thirty one. And saying, get out. So, so they go, so that, so they never go out. So this, and, and of course, then in the homes where they had done what God had said, killed the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, then their firstborn did not die. But the Egyptians' firstborn children died, including Pharaoh's son. And so they let, so now Pharaoh finally, he's finally convinced and he lets the people go. And there were instructions, even before this happens, there were instructions about annually commemorating this event. Right, Tommy? Yes. Uh, you see that mention, for example, in verse 14, that this is to be a memorial feast throughout their generations. Jeff, something I wanted to say, if this confuses our listeners any, is my microphone doing okay? When you get up that close, yeah, I hear you just fine. But but what uh, you mentioned that this was the first of months, the yeah. first of months in chapter twelve, verses one and two. That first month is called Abib in chapter thirteen, verse four. Thirteen, mm. verse four. Okay, uh, Abib. Abib, A B I B. Mm -hmm. And but after Babylonian captivity. 
Yeah. Uh, that month is called Nisan. Uh, in passages like Nehemiah 2.1, it is mentioned. In Esther 3.7, it is mentioned. And part of my point is, if you see a reference to the Passover as on the 14th of Abib or the 14th of Nisan, don't let that confuse you or disorient you. Uh, simply the names of the months have been changed. So I think we did a, Go ahead. Well, so, okay, so Nissan spelled just like the car, except with only one S, I think, right? Why, yes. why, did, it, why did it change? Why, did, why was it called a bib and then later called Nissan or Nissan or however you want to say it? <laughs> well, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly the why. I just know that it was. Uh, I think that some of these things take on new names after the experience in Babylon. Okay. Uh, is... Um, early is, you know, is, is, is what uh, I remember. I okay. think you did a good job a moment ago setting up that Israel has been oppressed in Egypt. Israel has been enslaved in Egypt. And this is an act, Exodus 12 and the Passover is an act of judgment on the Egyptians for their hostility to God and their oppression of God's people. And it is at the same time an act of deliverance or salvation for Israel. Remember, beginning with the fourth plague, God says, I'm going to send this plague on the Egyptians, but I'm not going to send it on the land of Israel so that you may know there's a distinction between my people and your people. And you even have things like, the plague of darkness, which engulfs Egypt, the ninth plague, it engulfs Egypt. No one can move from their place, but in the land of Israel, there is light. And as Joe stated, it is the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb placed upon the doorpost, which is going to provide deliverance for Israel. If they stay in the house, God will pass over them. The word Passover is used as a noun five times in Exodus 12, and the verb passed over is used three times, the same Hebrew root word. Now, you and Joe have been enlightening me a little bit. I have long thought of that idea of passing over as God kind of bypassing this house. He's, he's destroying, he's taking the life of the firstborn in this house and then in the next house and then in the next house. But then he comes to a house where there's an Israelite family living and there's the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel. And I have thought of the significance of the phrase Passover as just he bypasses that house and doesn't take the life of the firstborn. But you two have been um, sharing with me uh, a little bit different take on it, on the precise significance. It's certainly the idea of sparing the life or delivering that household. But talk about that a little bit, the idea of passing over. I think you connect it with another place in the Old Testament where we see a Passover being observed, or perhaps. Okay. Yes. Uh, did you want to go with this, Joe? Or? Uh, well, I think actually I may have heard this first from you, so whatever I say is probably uh, parroting something that you had taught. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting the impression neither of you guys wants to take responsibility for this <laughs> review. <laughs> if it doesn't go well, I just want to know the original source. <laughs> okay. All right, I, go I, ahead and explain 30, it. Yeah, Isaiah 31.5 uh, 
you have a, a similar word, and I'll let Tommy deal with all the Hebrew and root words and so forth, but I think you can just easily see, even in the English, a connection to it. In Isaiah 31 and in verse 5, speaking about the Lord, he says, Like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. And so the idea of, of the Passover here is of God preserving or saving. I don't think necessarily the idea of skipping over, but I imagine that somebody, for example, we've read stories uh, even recently of these uh, horrible fires or uh, mass shootings where somebody would hover over somebody else to protect them. And uh, I think that that's the, the idea of it and something like the shootings in, uh, in Las Vegas or whatever, where people were protecting their loved ones. All right. Okay. So that, but bottom line though, it is a story of deliverance, God protecting the Israelites so that, so that they do not lose their firstborn in their households. Um, all right. We talk a about. verse on that. Go ahead. A verse uh, in Psalm 91, one, in Psalm 91, beautiful Psalm of God's protection and deliverance. Uh, in verse one, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. But look at verse four in particular. Verse four, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. That's at Psalm 91 verse four. But the point is God is viewed as a bird protecting her young. That image is used of God, a similar type image in Exodus 19, four in Deuteronomy 33, 11. And Jesus uses it yeah. uh, when he is telling Jerusalem, that he often wanted to gather them as a hen gathers, as a, as a, as a, Bird gathers her chicks under her wings. I'm not getting the precise wording, but Matthew 23, 37 through 39. And one of the things that's interesting about Isaiah 31, 5 that Joe mentions, this is in the context of the Assyrian crisis of 701 BC. The people are being rebuked by Isaiah because they have been trusting in Egypt instead of the Lord. But while they are rebuked for that, the Lord promises to deliver them. The king in that time was Hezekiah. Also in Hezekiah's time in Second Chronicles 30 is one of the great Passovers of the Old Testament. Now, we don't know chronologically at what part of Hezekiah's reign that Passover fits. We don't know if that's early in his reign, if that is after the 701 B.C., uh, events, but the point that I'm trying to stress is this king who protect, who experienced his personal Passover, celebrates a grand Passover, and it's one of the major Passovers recorded in the Old Testament after Exodus 12. What do you mean when you say he he experienced his personal Passover? Well. That, prop, that may not have been the best wording because it wasn't just personal. It was for the whole nation. But I'm saying not only did they worship at the, at the uh, time of Passover, but the whole, ex, the whole nation is spared 
and experiences God's blessing and protection in 701, 701 BC. The Syrians are outside the walls of Jerusalem, threatening to destroy them. Uh, Israel knows their army cannot match them. And the Bible tells us the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So God delivered them just as he delivered them in the Exodus. And, and all throughout the Bible, when you see this idea of Passover, there's a big stress on deliverance, on God's deliverance. We have a few other examples, a few other examples where we see a Passover being mentioned in the Bible associated with their, with some deliverance occurring. Okay. Um, One uh, good example is in Exodus chapter Excuse me, that was Ezra chapter 6. Mm-hmm. In Ezra, Ezra six. chapter 6, there is a Passover celebrated. Uh, in context, Ezra has talked about the people returning from Babylonian captivity and building the temple. They return from captivity, they build the temple. At the end of that, they celebrate the dedication of the temple. And also, they, they celebrate a Passover in Ezra 6, verses 19 through 22. Now, one of the things that's very interesting to me about this, Jeff, is that Ezra 1 through 6 is a distinct unit within the book of Ezra. Uh, it takes place from 539 to 515, BC, there is a gap between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7 of 50 to 60 years. It is interesting, though, that Ezra 1, Ezra 1, 5 and 6, tells us that when the Jewish people left Babylon, that uh, God stirred up the spirit of those uh, who were not going, and they give to those who were going to back to build the temple, they give them articles of silver and gold and all kinds of valuables. Ezra that 1. That sounds five, familiar. Yes, it sounds very familiar. Exodus 12, 35, and 36, same thing happened in the Exodus. At so the time that saying, they're having the original Passover, uh, it creates. Yes. yes, absolutely. And so the point is, from the beginning of Ezra, this section of Ezra 1 through 6, from Ezra 1 to Ezra 6, you both, it, 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 it reminds us of deliverance from Egypt and the, the return from Babylonian captivity is in effect another exodus, another case of God's deliverance. Well, Tommy, the way you're describing this, I mean, we're talking about Ezra, which is written some hundreds of years after after Exodus is written, and it describes events that take place hundreds of years later. You're you're describing these accounts of these Passovers as if there are intentional thematic elements that uh, connect these separate these separate incidences uh, incidents separated by hundreds of years and written by different authors. You're act, you're you're making it sound like there's a design, a grand scheme here. Yes, I think the Bible does show intelligent design. <laughs> um, the, the point is often made, the point is often made that the Bible was written over at least 1,500 years yeah. by 40 different human authors. And all of that is true. And yet to see 
how these themes that are, that are introduced in one place keep recurring. In other words, to see the unity of the Bible, to me, is the strongest argument for the fact the Bible is from God. Now, it's an argument that can only be appreciated thoroughly by those who know the book well. But it is a powerful argument that this book is from God. When those people celebrated the first Passover and they were given the instruction in Exodus 12, 46, don't break a bone of this Passover lamb. I don't know that that meant anything to them besides don't break a bone of the Passover lamb. When Jesus dies upon the cross during the feast of Passover, well, oh, when well, Jesus died during, during the feast of Passover, how do you know it was during the feast of Passover? Okay, you read that several places. One of the things you see is in Luke 22, verse 1, it, it uses a phrase, and I mentioned that passage because it uses the phrase Passover and unleavened bread interchangeably. Uh, they were really, if you look in Exodus 12, two distinct feasts of the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, the Feast of Unleavened Bread beginning on the 15th and going through the 21st, but they became so closely associated, as is understandable, they came to be viewed as the names were used interchangeably, both in Luke 22.1 and in Acts 12.3 and 4. But, but let, with let, the... Let, let me, sorry to interrupt, but let's simplify this just a little bit for some of our audience members and just put it this way. Everybody has heard of the Last Supper. There's a famous painting of the Last Supper, you know, not that it's a very accurate depiction of the Last Supper, but everybody's familiar with the idea there was a Last Supper and then the next day Jesus is crucified. The Bible tells us that Last Supper was the Passover feast. So Jesus is yes. being crucified at the time of the Passover observance, and that's significant because Jesus is what? He is the Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of the feast. When John at the beginning of his gospel says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1 29. Uh, then at the end of John's gospel, you see several references to how he fulfills that picture of a Passover lamb. For example, in John 19, 36 and 37, the text says that when Jesus dies, while they broke the legs of those on the crosses beside Jesus, they did not break his legs. And they quote, and it says that it might be fulfilled, not a bone shall be broken. That is a quote from Exodus twelve forty six, which is in reference to the Passover lamb. Numbers 9, verse 12 also uses that language of the... Um, little Passover lamb, but the point is that language and those requirements foreshadow events that they could not have grasped in Back their in day and time. Just to see the unity of the Bible and how it pulls together these themes is remarkable. I like to make this observation that in Exodus chapter 12, you read this interesting story about how God is going to convince Pharaoh to let the Egyptians, uh, to let the Israelites go. And he has the Israelites kill a lamb and smear the blood on the doorpost and, and the lintel. And thus their firstborn does not die while the Egyptians firstborn children 
die. And I always like to make the point, if you don't see a connection between that and the New Testament story of Jesus' sacrifice as the ultimate Lamb of God, you have to ask yourself, why have the people indicate which houses are Israelite houses by smearing blood of a lamb on the doorpost? There were much simpler and neater, less messy ways to do that. You know, right Israelite house on the outside of the house. Uh, Why kill a lamb and use its blood? Or for that matter, if God is God, doesn't he know which houses are Israelite houses? But in doing it the way he did it, you can say they were saved from death by the blood of the lamb. And, of course, that gets us to Jesus. It it is by his blood we are saved from death by the blood of the lamb. So, Tommy, ask a question here. Looking at that tenth plague and the timing of the Passover, um, the other plagues seem to be dressing the false gods of the Egyptians. Would you make that? Uh, would you make that statement? Yes, a couple of pa- passages say that in Exodus twelve, verse twelve, in Numbers thirty-three, verse four. Uh, the the gods of the Egyptians are being judged in the plagues on Egypt. For example, the Egyptians had various sun gods and the land is struck with darkness. The Egyptians worship the Nile as a god and the first plague, the waters of the Nile become blood. And those are a couple of illustrations of how these plagues are judgments on the gods of Egypt. And so how does that work then with the 10th plague? What, what, well, what's the God that's being addressed? Part of it may be, it may be Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh was viewed as a God uh, by the people. And um, then his son is put to death. He is not able to prevent that. Also, though, they served gods of the underworld, like the, the name Hades comes from the Greek god of the underworld. They had gods of that nature. Some feel that it's more that kind of judgment, but I think both pictures could fit. And so I'm thinking about how what God is doing in Exodus 12 is destroying this mis- uh, appropriation of deity to the firstborn, particularly to to Pharaoh's son. And yet then, as Jesus is the Passover lamb, it is actually God's son who dies. Uh, It just seems like, I don't irony isn't quite the right word there, uh, but it seems like we've come full circle where the, the original Passover is God's manifestation that your son is not a God. But the ultimate Passover with Christ, God saying, I will offer my son as that Passover, as that, uh, to, to save from the destroyer. Interesting. Interesting. I I failed to mention at the uh, beginning of the webcast today, for those of you viewing, if you'd like to send us comments or questions by means of the Facebook page, you can do so, and Noel will get those comments to us. We really only have about uh, 17 minutes of the webcast left but that's plenty of time to get some of your comments and questions in here. Also, if you're watching us by means of the BibleQuest, BibleQuest.tv page or the Zoom app, uh, you can use the Q&A icon and send us questions that way, and we'll get them directly. 
Um, well, yeah, go ahead, Joe. You were going to start. Well, it. I was going to say, are there other New Testament applications that you would make? That's, Jeff had made the comment about seeing the new and the old uh, and how they uh, work together. Uh, are there other New Testament mm-hmm. or applications? Yes, there is. Could I get to another Old Testament passage that I want to mention? You see major Passovers observed in Joshua 5, in Second uh, Chronicles 30, Second Chronicles 35, Ezra 6 that we mentioned. One passage that does not mention the Passover, but I think it's very much in the picture, is in Esther 3, where there is a decree by uh, Haman and the king, Ahasuerus, or uh, Xerxes, to kill all the Jewish people. Now, while that event was not going to take place until the 13th day of the 12th month, the 13th day of the 12th month, on the first day of the 13th month, that decree is sent forth throughout all the Persian Empire. That's in Esther 3, verses 12 and 13. The 13th day of the first month. Now, the Passover was the 14th day of the first month. 14. The very fact that this decree is going forth to kill all the Jewish people on the day before the Passover should have, and I uh, am certain would have, led many of these Jewish people to have thought God delivered us in the past from Egypt and God will deliver us in the future. When you read the book of Esther, that unfolds the story of God's deliverance there. So when you think Passover, think deliverance. And of course, the ultimate deliverance is in Jesus. In uh, Luke 9, verse 31, when Jesus uh, appeared with Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration, the, uh, the word, only Luke tells us what they were talking about. And Luke tells us they were talking about his Exodus, his exodus, which he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. The salvation that comes from Jesus' blood is a salvation that was foreshadowed in God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. Yeah, that's interesting. Some of the translations, I've got the American Standard here, it says his decease, but the word is, in in the Greek language, it is exodus. And when when it's worded that way, it takes your mind right back to the Old Testament story of the Exodus. So, all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm sorry if you had a thought, but Joe had asked the question. I hadn't finished it, and so I was just – but if you have a thought right no, there, no, because he was ahead. asking about a New Testament passage. Uh, the New Testament passage that I had in mind, and, of course, the main thing is the Gospels. The, the main focus is the Gospels. And most of the New Testament references to the Passover – are references to the Passover on which Jesus was crucified. He is the fulfillment, as we stated, of the Passover feast and the Passover lamb. But another case where Passover comes into view that Joe was asking about is in Acts 12, where Peter is about to be executed, and on the night before his scheduled execution, he is delivered by an angel. Now, the reason we're tying this in is verse 3 and 4 tells us, uh, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So the mention of the Passover and the mention of unleavened bread seems to intentionally recall these events to describe Peter's deliverance. And after Peter is delivered, he uh, comes to the house of the Christians who are praying for them and knocks. Rhoda uh, hears his voice and goes back and tells the rest. And she is full of joy. And they tell her, you're crazy. And it is his angel. And then when he appears, they are amazed. You find parallels to each of those in Luke's gospel in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, I was the trying, same, I was trying yeah. to pull up. You had a list of those. I was going to try to pull it up and put it on screen, but I couldn't lay my hands on it quickly. So go back through those parallels again. Just the parallels between Jesus and, and the story of Peter here. Well, as you pointed out uh, when we were talking earlier today, he appears to a woman here, Rhoda. Peter appears to a woman. The first to be witnesses of the empty tomb are a women in Luke 24, 1 through 11. And the text tells us she recognized Peter's voice, but because of joy, she did not open the gate. And there's a reference to that in Luke 24, 41, that they are so filled with joy, they can't hardly believe it's true. Um, she goes and announces this message, and they say, you are out of your mind in Acts 12, verse 5. The women's reports of the empty tomb seem like nonsense in Luke 24, in verse 11. And the text tells us they come back, they open the door, and there, lo and behold, is Peter, and they were amazed in verse 16 just like they're amazed at Jesus' appearance in Luke 24, 41. The same God who has raised Jesus from the dead is delivering Peter from prison. And, and you've seen and Passover connecting those two. We got a Passover question. is about the... We got a question from a viewer. So this is about this passage in Acts chapter 12, and you mentioned that it, it highlights the fact that Herod was intending after the Passover to to uh, kill Peter, and that's in Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. So our viewer says, why does the King James Version use the word Easter in this passage? So the American Standard says uh, he was intending after the Passover to bring him forth to the people, but the King James says after Easter instead of Passover. So the viewer wants to know why. That is a good question. <laughs> I, do not know, I do not know of any translation other major uh, English translations that follow that rendering. It yeah. is a word that's translated Passover in every other place. I think it was an attempt to equate their calendar with ours. And certainly Easter happens at that time of year that Passover did. But um, the word doesn't mean if you would have said Easter to these <laughs> First century Christians, they wouldn't have known what you were talking Easter about. Easter didn't exist at the so, time, yeah. So basically, let's, let's put it this way. 
the resurrection of Jesus, it's not a coincidence that the resurrection of Jesus happens near Passover. It was by design that Jesus is sacrificed. He dies on the cross at the time of the Passover feast, and on the third day he's raised from the dead. The annual celebration of Jesus' resurrection is something that evolved, something that men came up with, and, and it called it Easter. And really, the word Easter that, that came to be used in connection with that annual celebration of Jesus' resurrection uh, comes from pagan sources. But the point I'm getting at here is the result is, because it's by God's design that Jesus' resurrection is at the time of, near the time of Passover, then it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not surprising that uh, on our calendars today, Easter and Passover always occur in close proximity. Uh, now, when the King James translators are, are writing their, their, making their translation, they're much more familiar with their uh, so-called Christian observation, uh, celebration of Easter and they think in those terms rather than the Jewish day of Passover. And so trying to put it, I think, in their, in the parlance of their times, the language of the Anglican church, they, they use the word Easter. But that would have, as you said, that would have meant nothing uh, to the readers of the book of Acts. It would have meant nothing to the, to the um, Jews in Acts chapter 12. All right. Uh, well, let's see here. Uh, so you, you've kind of gone through and shown us this theme of deliverance. We have all these places where there's a Passover event in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Some of the time when there is a Passover, there's language in the accounting of it that connects us, not only, not only the, the word Passover itself, but the surrounding events are such that they take us back mentally to the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt. And so you have this theme, God delivered his people Israel. He's ultimately going to deliver all those who are saved by the blood of the lamb. Um, you have that theme being developed. To, to what extent should we think of Passover as an agricultural feast, as something connected with agriculture? And, and here's the reason I asked that question. Um, am I correct that it's at the time of the barley harvest? Am I thinking right there? And, and later on, we, we, we have the Feast of Pentecost, which is connected with the wheat harvest. Am I right about that? Yes. And, then, and then later on, we, we have the Feast of Tabernacles, which comes in uh, in the fall of the year as you're making your final gathering of all your crops. So sometimes I read writers who want to portray these feasts as merely agricultural celebrations, and then over time they were imbued with theological significance. Um, and uh, so wondered if you had any comments about that. Well, all people, not, not even just Israel, but all people in the ancient world, would have viewed blessings in agriculture as ultimately a gift from their gods. Now, maybe they worshiped the wrong gods and attributed that to the wrong gods, but they did not believe that the ground produced fruit of itself. Uh, they believed that these things were gifts of God. And so it's natural for a feast where you celebrate a harvest 
to be a feast where there's worship for that is viewed as the, um, the result of God's blessing upon a people. I guess I would even go so far as to say, and I think you would too, that God used those agricultural themes, the idea of harvesting the very, the very beginning of your crops, the first fruits. He, he had in mind a spiritual idea there. So yes, it was an agricultural feast, had an agricultural connection, but that had a spiritual significance. Jesus is going to be the first fruits of the dead. He's going to come forth. And, and then later on, there's going to be a harvest of those who are his brethren. I think 1 Corinthians 15, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22, uses that term of Christ, isn't it? Yeah, uh, sure. That, um, yes, he is the first fruits of those who are asleep. First Corinthians 15 verse 20. So yes, uh, it appoints, it, it points to a deeper and greater first fruit again, in a way that Israel never imagined at the time, but God was intending all along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, let's talk about leaven a little bit. And um, there's a passage in the new Testament that just says Christ is our Passover. Um, and we talk about John one twenty nine. behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said of Jesus. And, and you've talked a little bit about the idea that he's, he probably has in mind the, the Passover lamb, but in first Corinthians five and verse seven, Paul calls Christ our Passover. And it's in a context where Paul brings in the idea of keeping the leaven out of the feast. Maybe we'll have just a, about four minutes to talk a little bit about that. Joe, Tommy, <laughs> surely you have some thoughts about this. <laughs> well, the, the, the leaven there that he's describing, uh, I think, is often viewed as the immoral man that's uh, being under consideration in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I take a little bit different view than that, uh, that really the, the leaven is more their attitude and, and their response to that, the, the, the boasting um, uh, of, uh, of having that man in their company. They're, it's their glorying, verse 6, that's not good. That seems to be the, the leaven there. Or in verse 8, the malice and wickedness, just basically sin in general. I, th- I think you're right. It's not so much the man himself as it is sin and the leavening influence of sin, just like yeast has an effect upon the whole lump of dough. Uh, if you let sin fester in a congregation, it's going to have a negative influence. And so what Paul is telling the Corinthians is you need to be dealing with the sin in the midst of your congregation. Practically, what that's going to mean in this context is if you've got a man who's committing fornication, you have to remove him from the congregation uh, so that his sin does not have its leavening influence. Would you? Would, would that be an accurate way to describe it? Yeah, I think I think it's very very appropriate. So, so Tommy, one of the things he says is this in verse six: is he's telling them they need to to remove this influence. He says in verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. For our Passover also has been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, 
let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sounds to me like he's really going back to Exodus chapter 12. Yes, they were to cleanse their houses of all leaven uh, um, in preparation for that feast. And And if they didn't, uh, what happened? If they had... They were cut off from among the people. Yeah. They were cut off. And and that's what lies in the background here. Well, let's get a final comment. If you want to offer, Tommy, if you want to offer a final comment to kind of tie some things together, wrap some things up, and we may have to have you come back and talk a little bit more about this. We also want to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. We didn't get to that today. Um, again, what you said earlier in the program, Jeff, about the unity of the Bible here is really remarkable to see this theme introduced in Exodus, in in a way we could say it's traced all the way even to Revelation, because in Revelation 15, 3 and 4, when they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, it seems to be the song that Israel sang when they were delivered from Egypt. doesn't mention the word Passover specifically, but it was the song that was sung to celebrate that whole series of events. So in a way, this theme is tied together all throughout Scripture, all those years, all those different authors. But ultimately, there's one author of Scripture who weaves all the picture together. And one of the things I would encourage the listeners to think about You may think, why even talk about Passover? We don't observe it today in the same way. To understand one part of the Bible helps us to fit the whole picture together better. Oh, we can appreciate the Bible without understanding every detail. If we couldn't, we'd all be in trouble because none of us put every detail together. But but the more that we can see of one part we can see of the whole because this book is so unified and tied together so remarkably. Yeah. All right. Well, great, great thoughts to wrap it up with. I, I, I appreciate something you said earlier. If somebody hasn't read much of the Bible, it's hard for them to see all of these elements coming together. And that's why it's important to become familiar with really the whole Bible as much as one can. Thank you, Tommy, for being with us today. Thank you, Joe, as always. Good, good study. Thank you all both. And thank those of you who are watching today. And uh, Noah, our webcast engineer, thanks to him also. And Lord willing, we'll see you next week.